Chapter 16, Part 2 of The Swiss Family Robinson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Swiss Family Robinson by Johann R. Wies. Chapter 16, Part 2. I took an opportunity one day, when all were present, to remark in a serious tone, I have been considering, dear wife, that our eldest son is now of an age to be dependent on himself. I shall, therefore, henceforth leave him at liberty to act in all respects according to his own judgment, and, especially in the matter of voyages or excursions, he must not be hampered by the fear of alarming us, should he choose to remain absent longer than we expect. I have such entire confidence in his prudence, and at the same time in his affection for us, that I am certain he will never needlessly cause us anxiety. Fritz looked gratefully toward me as I spoke, and his mother ratified my words, embracing him affectionately and saying, with emotion, "'God bless and preserve thee, my boy!' It took some time to make several raking or scraping machines, which I invented for the purpose of detaching and lifting the oysters from their native rocks, but that gave Fritz leisure to change the fittings of his canoe, so as to have a spare seat in it. His brothers naturally concluded that he meant to take one of them as shipmate on board, and he allowed the mistake to continue. They occupied themselves in making various articles they expected to be of use, and bore the delay with tolerable patience. At last came the day when, taking leave of the mother and Franz, we went on board the yacht, accompanied by some of the dogs, while Jack, proudly occupying the new seat beside Fritz in the canoe, shared with him the honour of leading the way in the character of pilots. We passed safely through the rocks and shoals near Walrus Island into an expanse of calm water, sheltered by jutting cliffs, where the sea glanced like a mirror, and for the first time we observed the fairy-like shells of the paper nautilus sailing lightly over the dazzling surface. It was impossible to see these lovely seafarers without wishing to obtain specimens, and the canoe accordingly gave chase, presently securing half a dozen, which were handed to us in the yacht, to be carefully preserved for the museum, and the place was ever after called Nautilus Creek. Further on we rounded a short promontory, flat, with an abrupt rock at the extremity, to which we gave the name of Cape Pugnose, and then at some distance appeared the grand cliffs of a headland, running far out to sea. This I suppose we should have to weather, but my pilots made no change in our course, and, following the canoe, we soon came in sight of the majestic archway, which offered us a short passage to Pearl Bay. The wonderfully architectural appearance of the pillars, arches, and pinnacles, surrounding and surmounting this noble entrance, struck me with admiration, resembling parts of a fine Gothic cathedral, and inducing me to propose for it the name Cape Minster. A perfect cloud of little swallows darted from the cavernous entrance on our approach, divided into flocks, soared, wheeled, flew right and left, and finally returned in a body as swiftly as they came, to the sides of the long dark tunnel, which were festooned with their nests. We detached a number of these as we passed, taking care to leave those containing eggs of young. The best were at a considerable height, but the broken shelving rocks afforded, in some places, footing for such daring and active climbers as Fritz and Jack, 
and they quickly obtained as many as we could possibly require. Our progress was much assisted by the tide, which, like a current, bore us onward along the nave of this natural cathedral. Aisles, transepts, screens, and side-chapels appearing between the columns and arches, which in the dim religious light were revealed to our wondering eyes. On emerging into the dazzling sunshine we found ourselves floating in the calm expanse of Pearl Bay, but it was some minutes before we could look around on the bright and lovely scene. Fritz had not overrated its beauty, and the romantic islets which studded its waters seemed to give the effect of a pleasant smile to features already perfect. We cruised about for some time, surveying the coast with its fertile meadows, shady groves, gently swelling hills and murmuring brooks, seeking a convenient landing-place in the vicinity of the shallows where lay the oyster-beds. This we found, close to a sparkling streamlet, and, as the day was fast declining, we made speedy arrangements for burning a watch-fire, after which we partook of a hasty supper, and, leaving the dogs, with Coco the jackal, to sleep on shore, we returned on board the yacht for the night, anchoring within gunshot of the land. The coast being quite strange to us, I knew not what wild beasts might frequent it, but, though I did not fear that any would approach us by swimming, yet I was glad to have with us our lively little ape, Mercury, the successor of our old favorite, Knips, long since gathered to his father's, for he occupied at night a cosy berth on deck, and was certain to give vociferous notice, should anything alarming occur. Fritz moored the kayak alongside, and came on board. The night passed in peace, although for a time we were disturbed by the yelping of jackals, with whom Coco persisted in keeping up a noisy conversation. We awoke at daybreak, and after breakfast, a la fourchette, we repaired in haste with nets, scrapers, and all other requisites to the oyster-beds, where we worked with such diligence and success that in the course of two days we had an immense pile of shells built up like a stack on the beach, and left to decay. I collected a quantity of seaweed to spread over them, which was afterward burnt to make alkali, when we returned to secure our harvest of pearls. Every evening we went out shooting in the neighborhood, and kept ourselves supplied with game of one sort or another. The last day of our fishery we started earlier, intending to make a longer excursion into the woods. Ernest set off first with Floss, Jack and Coco strolling after them. Fritz and I were still employed in taking on board the last load of our tools, when we suddenly heard a shot, a loud cry of pain or fear, and then another shot. At the first alarm the other two dogs rushed away from us toward the spot, and Fritz, who had just called Pounce from his perch to accompany us in the ramble, let him fly, and seizing his rifle darted off in the same direction. Before I could reach the scene of action more shots were heard, and then a shout of victory, after which appeared through the stems of the trees the disconsolate figure of Jack, hobbling along like a cripple, supported on each side by his brothers. When they came near me they stopped, and poor Jack, moaning and groaning, began to feel himself all over, as if to search for broken bones, crying out, "'I'm pounded like a half-crushed peppercorn!' On examination I found some severe bruises. "'Who or what has been pommeling the boy?' I exclaimed. "'One would think he had been beaten.' "'It was a huge wild boar,' said Ernest, "'with fierce eyes, monstrous tusks, and a snout as broad as my hand.' 
we took Jack down to the yacht, bathed his bruises, gave him a cooling drink, and he soon fell fast asleep in his berth, where I left him, and returned to the shore. "'Now, Ernest,' said I, "'enlighten me on the subject of this adventure. What you and the boar did is quite a mystery to me.' "'Floss and I were going quietly along,' replied he, when suddenly there was a rustling and snorting close by, and a great boar broke through the brushes, making for the outskirts of the wood. Floss gave chase directly, and the boar turned to bay. Then up came Jack with Coco, and the gallant little jackal attacked the monster in the rear. In another moment, however, he was sent sprawling upon his back, and this so provoked his master that he fired a hasty, ill-directed shot. The brute's notice and fury at once turned upon Jack, who prudently took to his heels, when I attempted to check the career of the boar by a shot, which, however, only slightly wounded it. Jack stumbled and fell over the root of a tree, just as the animal came up with him. "'Help! Murder!' shouted he, and if the other dogs had not then arrived, and altogether tackled the boar, I fear it would have been a case of murder indeed. As it was, the poor fellow got mauled and trampled upon dreadfully.' As I was waiting for an opportunity to fire without any risk of hitting Jack, Pounce rushed through the air and darted upon the beast, and Fritz came up quickly and shot it dead with a pistol. While we were helping Jack along, and passing a place where the boar had been grubbing, I noticed some such curious knotty roots or tubercles that I brought away specimens. "'Are they worth anything, do you think? They have a strong smell.' "'If I may trust my nose,' said I, "'you have brought something by no means to be despised. "'Yes,' I continued, putting them to my lips, "'these are very fine truffles. "'Taste them, Fritz.' "'Indeed, they are excellent,' said he, "'very different from the tough, leathery things I remember in Europe. "'These are tender and well-flavoured.' "'Because they are fresh,' said I, "'you have before tasted those only which have been brought from a distance. "'They are found in different parts of Europe.' buried at a depth of ten or twelve inches in the soil of oak or beech-woods. A small dog is employed to hunt for them, who perceives their musky odour in a singularly acute way, and at once scratches on the spot where they lie. "'Have the truffles no leaves or stalks?' inquired Fritz, by which they might be found without the help of the dog. "'They have nothing of the sort,' I replied. "'They are discovered simply by scent, and are considered to belong to the tribe of fungi.' By this time it was late. We took supper, and made up the watch-fire, and withdrew to our yacht, where we slept peacefully. Early next morning we proceeded to visit the field of battle. The wild boar, which I had not before seen, proved to be much larger and more formidable in appearance than I had imagined, and Jack's escape seemed to be perfectly marvellous. The boys took it as a matter of course that we were to cut out hams and flitches, and we therefore did so, though I warned them that they need not expect much pleasure in eating bacon from a tough old African boar like this. We conveyed the mighty hams to the beach, each on a sledge of plaited boughs and twigs, and drawn by one of the dogs. The monstrous head travelled in the same way, and we collected a large number of truffles before quitting the forest. As soon as the dogs were released, they rushed back to the scene of operations in the wood, "'comprehending that they were now free to feast on what remained there. "'There was so much to be done in the consequence of this affair "'that Fritz, who had hoped to set out on his solitary expedition that day, "'deferred it until the next, and was, therefore, fortunately with us 
when late in the evening we desisted from our labours, and, having supped, were preparing to retire to rest. All at once a deep, fearful sound echoed through the neighbouring woods. It made our blood curdle in our veins. We listened with straining ears, hoping it would not be repeated. With a shudder we heard the dread voice roar again, yet nearer to us, and an answer peal from the distance. "'We must find out who are the performers in this concert,' exclaimed Fritz, springing to his feet and snatching up his rifle. "'Make the fire blaze. Get on board the yacht and have all the guns in readiness. I am off to reconnoitre in the canoe.' We mechanically obeyed his rapid orders, while the bold youth disappeared in the darkness, and after heaping fuel on the fire we went on board, and armed ourselves with cutlasses, besides loading all the guns, waiting in readiness either to land again or to quit the coast. We presently saw the whole pack of our dogs, as well as Coco the jackal, and the little ape Mercury, who had been tempted by the truffles to stay with them in the woods, come galloping at full speed up to the fire. Mercury was evidently excessively discomposed at finding us gone. He gnashed his teeth and chattered, as though in fear, looking hopelessly at the water, through which he could not venture. The dogs planted themselves by the fire, gazing fixedly landward, with ears erect, and occasionally uttering a barking challenge, or a suppressed howl. Meantime the horrid roarings approached nearer, and I concluded that a couple of leopards or panthers had been attracted by the scent of the boar's carcass. But not long after I had expressed this opinion, we beheld a large, powerful animal spring from the underwood, and, with a bound and muttered roar, approach the fire. In a moment I recognized the unmistakable outlines of the form of a lion, though in size he far surpassed any I had ever seen exhibited in Europe. The dogs slunk behind the fire, and the lion seated himself almost like a cat on his hind legs, glaring alternately at them and at the great boar-hams which hung near, with doubtless a mixed feeling of irritation and appetite, which was testified by the restless movement of his tail. He then arose, and commenced walking up and down with a slow and measured pace, occasionally uttering short angry roars, quite unlike the prolonged full tones we had heard at first. At times he went to drink at the brook, always returning with such haste that I fully expected to see him spring. Gradually his manner became more and more threatening. He turned toward us, crouched, and with his body at full stretch waved his tail, and glared so furiously that I was in doubt whether to fire or retreat, when through the darkness rang the sharp crack of a rifle. "'That is Fritz!' exclaimed every one, while, with a fearful roar, the lion sprang to his feet, stood stock-still, tottered, sank on his knees, rolled over, and lay motionless on the sand. "'We are saved!' I cried. "'That was a masterly shot. The lion is struck to the heart. He will never stir again.' "'Stay on board, boys. I must join my brave Fritz.' "'In a few moments I landed. "'The dogs met me with evident tokens of pleasure, "'but kept whining uneasily, "'and looking toward the deep darkness of the woods "'whence the lion had come. "'This behaviour made me cautious, "'and, seeing nothing of Fritz, I lingered by the boat, "'when suddenly a lioness bounded from the shadow of the trees "'into the light diffused by the fire. "'At sight of the blazing faggots she paused,' as though startled, passed with uncertain step round the outskirts of the illuminated circle, and uttered roarings, which were evidently calls to her mate, 
whose dead body she presently discovered. Finding him motionless, her manner betokened the greatest concern. She touched him with her forepaws, smelt round him, and licked his bleeding wounds. Then, raising her head, she gnashed her teeth, and gave forth the most lamentable and dreadful sound I ever heard, a mingled roar and howl, which was like the expression of grief, rage, and a vow to be revenged, all in one. Crack! Another shot! The creature's right forepaw was lamed, and the dogs, seeing me raise my gun, suddenly gathered courage, and ran forward just as I fired. My shot also wounded the lioness, but not mortally, and the most terrific combat ensued. It was impossible to fire again for fear of wounding the dogs. The scene was fearful beyond description. Black night surrounded us. The fitful blaze of the fire shed a strange unnatural light on the prostrate body of the huge dead lion, and on the wounded lioness, who fought desperately against the attack of the four gallant dogs, while the cries, roars, and groans of anguish and fury uttered by all the animals were enough to try the stoutest nerves. Old Juno, staunch to the last, was foremost in the fray. After a time I saw her change her plan of attack, and spring at the throat of the lioness, who in an instant raised her left paw, and at one blow the cruel claws had laid open the body of the dog, and destroyed the life of the true and faithful companion of so many years. Just then Fritz appeared. The lioness was much weakened, and we ventured to go near enough to fire with safety to ourselves, and finally I dispatched her by plunging a hunting-knife deep in her breast. Ernest and Jack were summoned from the yacht to witness the completed victory, and I regretted having left them on board when I saw how greatly the noise and tumult had alarmed them, unable, as they were, to ascertain what was going on. They hastened toward us in great agitation, and their joy on seeing us safe was only equalled by the grief they felt on learning the death of Juno. The night was now far advanced. The fire burnt low, but we piled on more wood, and, by the renewed light, drew poor Juno from between the paws of the lioness, and by the brookside washed and bound up the torn body, wrapped it carefully in canvas, and carrying it with us on board the yacht, that it might be buried at Rockburg, whither on the following day it was our purpose to return. Wearied and sorrowful, but full of thankfulness for our personal safety, we at length lay down to sleep, having brought all the dogs on board." Next morning, before quitting Pearl Bay, we once more landed, that we might possess ourselves of the magnificent skins of the lion and lioness, whose visit, fatal to themselves, had caused such a commotion during the night. In about a couple of hours we returned to the yacht, leaving the flayed carcasses to the tender mercies of the birds of prey, sure to be attracted to them. "'Homeward bound!' sang out the boys, as they cheerily weighed anchor, and prepared to stand out to sea." I could see, though he did not complain, that poor Jack had not recovered from the boar's rough treatment, and moved very stiffly. "'You must pilot us through the channel in the reef this time, Fritz,' said I, adding in a lower tone, "'and then is it to be farewell, my son?' "'Yes, dear father, au revoir,' returned he, brightly, with a glance full of meaning, while he threw into his canoe a cushion and a fur cloak." "'Thanks, Fritz, but I'm going to honour them with the care of my battered bones in the yacht here. You are awfully considerate, though, old fellow,' remarked Jack, not for a moment doubting that his brother expected him to return as he came, 
beside him in the kayak. Fritz laughed and commended his decision. Then, springing into his skiff, he led the way toward the open sea. We followed, carefully, and soon passed the reef, after which the boys were very busy with the sails, putting the vessel on the homeward course, when, waving his hand to me, Fritz turned in the opposite direction, and quickly vanished beyond the point, which I afterward named Cape Farewell. When missed by his brothers, I said he had a fancy to explore more of the coast, and if he found it interesting he might, instead of only a few hours, remain absent for two or three days. Toward evening we sailed into Safety Bay. End of chapter 16, part 2, read by Kara Schallenberg on August 6, 2009, in San Diego, California.